0: Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. When the pandemic took hold in late February, early March, companies did what they always do when the shit hits the fan, they cut marketing. I call this an expense mentality versus an investment mentality. But right around early May, as things started looking up, the phone started ringing, proposals were flying out the door, and yes, I was even told I was right. The cutting marketing was a mistake. But what was interesting was the number of startups that began reaching out to me. I had been running a few workshops speaking about uh, startups and talking to the startup community. I even provide consulting to a few of the innovation groups in Southern California. But this was, frankly, crazy because, I mean, it was six out of every 10 calls or seven out of every 10 calls that I was getting. During my conversation with a variety of folks, guests on the shows, I discovered this really innovative incubator or organization that helps launch startups. The Launch Factory in San Diego, California. So to help put things in perspective and shed a little light on the startup world, I've invited Brad Chisholm, CEO and founder of The Launch Factory, to discuss his unique approach to helping launch companies. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this quick break. My company, The Ponzi Group, provides consulting, interim, and fractional marketing and leadership services with a focus on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. We take a holistic approach to driving business growth. Consider us, your marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, the competition, and the marketplace to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. And, much like a general contractor, we partner with internal teams or carefully selected vetted individuals and organizations to execute the strategies and plans, as well as provide oversight and management to ensure we stay on brand and plan. To learn more about our services, visit theponzigroup.com. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Brad Chisholm, CEO and founder of The Launch Factory, to talk about what it says on his website's homepage, We Launch Startups. So, Brad, welcome. Well,
1: thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. This this is going to be a, a fun conversation. I, uh, well, I think when we talked uh, a few weeks ago, I guess, Around May, all of a sudden, is the tides started to turn. I started getting inquiries. I mean, literally, I would say six out of every ten inquiries I received was from a startup. And prior to that, it, I just hadn't been hearing from from any startups. Of course, I hadn't been chasing many startups. And I guess during the, the the pandemic in the middle of it, I I did a few webinars for startups and things like that. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, literally. I would say last week I had four. Uh, this week I've got three conversations lined up. So it's 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 crazy and you're going to know how crazy it really is out there. But before we kind of jump into everything, why don't you take a few minutes, talk about yourself and talk about Launch Factory to put things in perspective for the listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I started off as an engineer and then realized that you know, I really wanted to go start my own company I knew nothing about business so I had to go back and get an MBA just to just to get some orientation there but but I ended up I was working doing research and development at the Navy and there was a technology there that I really liked and it turns out the inventor of that technology had entrepreneurial ambition so so the two of us licensed that IP uh, left the Navy built a company uh, ultimately were acquired by Google in 2014 and you know when you go down a path like that, it's one of these things that, you know, it could have gone either way multiple times. We ended it well, you know, but, but there's lots of things that happened along the way that, you know, from our perspective were, you know, good luck or good fortune. And, and so, so I wanted to get back into the startup game, but I wanted to do it in a way where you're looking at things, where you're looking at these situations that, that it seems like luck. How do you recreate that intentionally? and there and there's some commonalities with these with these lucky situations typically it involves an individual or a person that steps in and really you know makes a big difference so how do we do that and that's that's what led me to starting launch factory at launch factory we create startup companies we start literally with the idea then we bring on the talent that's going to be the leadership for these companies and we put support mechanisms behind them and we do things to intentionally create the luck that i had at Lumadine. And so we've we we're relatively new. We started one company in 2019. Started two companies this year. They started back in June, and looking to start four companies next year.
0: Okay. The um, yeah, and your model is really interesting. And, and if you were just describing it, it's it's typically I, I've got an idea. I start creating it. I get down the road. I start looking for money. Things start to happen, and turns out to be I'm not the right person to be running the company because maybe I don't know about business. I actually. Uh, One of the startups I am talking to um, uh, probably for about three months, we were back and forth. I was providing them all this stuff, basically proved to me you can you know, you can work with us. And then we finally got to that point. Then I got an email and says that we decided to hire a professional CEO. (laughs) This guy was coming out of academia and um, and I chuckled to myself because just based on the conversations and the challenges that they were presenting to me. I could tell that, you know, the marketing side and the business side was a little lax. Um, I was able to come up to speed in a relatively short period of time. And so I think that, you know, I think after all their work and then here comes some guy rolling along and now he's you know knows as much as we do in less than a few weeks. It, I think it scared him. Um, but anyway, so so it's really a little bit for you Then I'll use the chicken and the egg. Right. I mean, you had to make this decision. Do we do we get the companies first? or or do we get the idea and i love the fact that you're out vetting um you know potential founders i think you call them on your website so mm-hmm. what's that process like i mean how, how do you look at somebody and take them through i know it's like a job interview in a sense but how do you what do you what's that process that you take them through because i'm sure it's it's not a simple one
1: it's not and it's it's all based off this idea that you know looking at somebody's resume talking to you know references, you know, that's all very helpful when you're evaluating a person for any role, but it's not good enough for what we're trying to do. Uh, We we getting the founders right is absolutely the most important. It's more important than the idea. It's more important than the money we put in. It's more important than the support we put around these companies. We have to get the people right. And so what we've done is we've taken a look and and at things that actually work uh, and things that don't. And we put together what we call our founders recruitment process. So this is this takes place over many weeks, and what we're doing is we we ask founder candidates to demonstrate to us their vision for our business. And we we have uh, we have we provide the high level idea. Uh, we provide all of our due diligence, and then they need to take that and show us how they would implement this. And so there's still a lot of wiggle room. By the time they're done doing this, they you know, they usually modify the business somewhat, still in the same spirit of what we're trying to accomplish, but they've done it their own way, which is what we want to see. We do it this way because our belief is that if you show us what you would do in a detailed way and can answer specific questions about it, that's a much greater indicator of what you will do than what we would be able to glean from a few clever interview questions. And so so, uh, and it also goes one step further, which is, you know, you, when you look at it, we want to pull from the largest pool of candidates possible. That's how that's how we get to our our best founders. We can. Right. So 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 we need to make sure that we're not artificially limiting the pool just by people that are happen to be in my network or people that I can outreach to. We wanted to create something that's merit based that anybody can come into this. And if they have what it takes, then they can be the leaders of our company. Well, and, and so what ends up happening is all of this culminates where, when we get down to three three pairs of founders per company idea. It looks very much like a Shark Tank type episode where, where they actually are pitching their vision of the business back to judges we bring in. Outside investors, uh, real check writers in the local community to be the judges, people that have seen thousands of pitches, uh, and and we use that process to select what's be the the best founders, and, and it's it's been tremendous. Uh, the the quality of talent that we see is really impressive. One of the things that we wanted to make sure that we're screening for, I mean, when you look at you know when you look at when you look at what it takes to run your own business, you need to you need to have passion and you need to have drive. Mm-hmm. And so with our process, it takes place over enough time that we can see if you have the passion or drive. And by the time you get to that final presentation, it comes out and it's it's been wonderful. It's um, so it's 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 one of these things that, you know, I firmly believe it doesn't have to be your idea to have passion about it. I mean, for some people it does, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. I was one of those examples. My business that I did that we sold to Google was not my idea, but I was probably ended up being more passionate about it than the inventor by the end. Uh, he may argue otherwise on that one, but uh, but it's at least a pretty close race. Um, so, but it's one of these things that if you look at what it takes to be passionate, it doesn't have to be your idea, but you do need to have the opportunity to make it yours. Mm-hmm. And, no, absolutely. And our, yeah. And, and through our recruitment process, they are putting their fingerprints and and shaping this business into something that makes it theirs, and uh, and it's really neat to see when you watch
0: where where these candidates take things. I love that process, and in this wasn't to be a founder, but I, I for one of the clients that I went to work for, um, they they had this. I mean, I had three interviews with the recruiting company, and I had seven interviews at the parent company. They were individuals. They were in groups. Um, The interesting thing, and it's a long story, but there were kind of two sides of the business, the commercial side and the government side. And the government side, which overshadowed everything, I mean, half the people walking around were like ex-CIA people. And so I was getting paranoid that they're always kind of reading me. But it was interesting, that whole process took it down to two of us. And they basically said, it was like three months, and they said, you have five minutes to give us a presentation to your point, where you would see the company going and how you would get us there. And it was, and five minutes seemed like not a lot of time, but when you're standing, for me, when I was standing up there, five minutes, sounded like an eternity trying to convince them that, that, uh, you know, I knew where to take them. And I did win that job, by the way, but, but you said, so I like that process and I want to dig into that for a second. But you said something I want to get clarity on, you said our founding pairs so not the founding person so you're you're vetting in pairs of people to put teams together that's
1: right so we have you know usually when people come into our process they aren't you know they come in as individuals sometimes people come in with their own partner but but we have people partner up and we specifically look for people to partner up based off of skill sets so you know you running a company there's a lot to do you need a lot of skill sets to try to find everything in one person isn't realistic on top of that, we intend to move very quickly and so two can move faster than one and we need to and we want them to go through the process together because we need to see that they work well together they need to see that they're working with the right person and so they everyone of course chooses who they partner with uh, but you need to be you need to have the opportunity to test drive that relationship before you commit to running a company together mm-hmm. and the process allows that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the people side of it is so important, and, and I've always felt that. I mean, I've, I've come across a lot of ideas. I actually have a lot of pieces of paper that say I own companies that don't exist anymore, or pieces of companies. And it ultimately almost always ended up is at the leadership just wasn't right. I worked with this group of Lockheed engineers. This was 15 years ago, and they created this really incredible piece of technology but they were engineers, and they never stopped tweaking it. In six years, when I finally got introduced to them and, and tried to take them to market, and they just didn't know how to run a business. And I mean, it, it eventually died. And I and there's several more of those that that just didn't get it. So the I think the people's important. Even when I I had the opportunity to sell my advertising agency, when the people that the other agency that was buying us, you know, we were nervous some of our clients would go away because they didn't, they went from a boutique agency to a giant behemoth. And their answer was, we don't care. It's we're buying you people because you've already demonstrated that you can grow a business and we're going to give you those resources to help you do what you do best. And that's grow. And and so that always stuck in the back of my mind that how important that structure was, where I was always worried about the clients or the piece of software we might be using and things like that. So back to the the, the people part of this. When you, and I'm going to call it a, a funnel. <laughs> so you open it up. You have you're going to bring in four businesses next year. So therefore, I assume you're you're already people are already supply are uh, submitting applications. And so there's that weeding process to get down to those teams that you're going to actually put together to go forward. So how do you get from the top of the funnel to being one of those teams?
1: Yeah, it, it's so. Yeah, registrations, people, registrations are actually about to open up here pretty soon. Um, w- the first step is people just register with interest. Right. And then, you know, then they're going to and everybody gets to look at what if the business ideas are, you know, to before they're asked to commit. Right. And so um, so so what at final commit, what they do is they come in, they register and then there's a there's a series of tests they take that are basically, uh, you know, you look at them as personality tests. There are a few personality traits out there that do correlate well with performance in the workplace, and so we're looking for scores there. This is just a course filter because we also only trust these tests to a limited degree. Mm -hmm. It also serves as, you know, it helps us be a filter uh, for, you know, there's we get a lot of people that, you know, register, but they're not actually interested. Uh, You know, we want to make sure that we have a way to screen that out, and by taking, by spending 30 to 60 minutes taking a test that usually eliminates anybody that's not serious. but we do use that as a course filter. So some people will be removed just based off those results. Then it moves into the partnering portion. And so, so this is where we get involved uh, to help people out. But it's, you know, we want people get an opportunity to meet each other, to partner up, and we have a whole laundry list of advice we give. Ultimately, it's, of course, up to them as individuals. We're not dictating anything. But there's things that we know, both from research and lessons learned from our own experience of what makes a good partner. And, and, and it's, it's a funny thing. I think everybody knows this, but every, but people still make the same mistake. Your best friend is not your best partner. Mm-hmm. You're not looking for your buddy to go have a beer with after work. You're looking for somebody that's going to help you perform at your best. You know, this is, you know, the startup world is not an easy one. This is, this is, you know, this is, this is like, you know, imagine that you're going to, you're a professional athlete and you're, you're going to go train for your big event, right? You want, and you and you need a teammate, right? You want the best you can find. Whether or not you hang out with them after the competition doesn't really matter. This is this is the same kind of mindset we put towards towards partnering well. You know, who's going to make you better at your job if you're the CEO or who's going to make you better at your job if you're the CTO? So so we go through that, people partner up and then we start the process of each week they demonstrate one aspect of the business back to us. So it might be, what is your go-to-market strategy? Or it might be, what is your vision for the product? So they detail this out and and submit. And each week we do a down select based off the submissions. And so so one of the things we do at the beginning, everybody submits, everybody comes up with a team name and and they submit under their team names. And this is, This is this means that when we're looking at things on the judgment side, we don't see the individuals. It's not there's no resume staple to this. All of this is to try to make sure that we are looking purely at the submissions and 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 removing any preconceived ideas of what these founders can be or do based off based off their resume or who they are. Right. So we're looking at just the work product. About halfway through the process, when we get down select to a smaller, once it gets down to a smaller number of people, we do start to be able to correlate the people with the with the submissions. But by that point, all of our impression, the first impression part's done. We now have our impression formed by the team name and it's, oh, and these happen to be the people that comprise the team. And so, so this is all done to try to make sure that we are as objective as we possibly can be so that we get the absolute best talent that we can.
0: Yeah, interesting, interesting. So back to there's the that's the founder side. Now let's go to the idea side. Where where are the ideas coming from? Is that you and your partners, or are you people submitting? I've got this great product. I mean, how do how do you get the foundation to look at the types of businesses you might move forward? You said you you brought two out this year. We're going to talk about those. You want to bring out four. Well, is it did you just pick four, or did you just start with 50 and you narrowed it down to four? I mean, what's that process?
1: Yeah, so Alessandro Rinaldi's the the one that runs that internally here, and he's a Stanford MBA. And so what he's done is he's taken what they teach and preach at Stanford and and replicated that. It's basically customized that for what we do here at Launch Factory. And and so so it's heavy on the due diligence. You know, this is something where you more important than the actual idea is how well you understand that idea and the space that it's going into. Yeah you know, there's lots and lots of wonderful business ideas out there but you won't know if it's good if you don't know the space. Mm-hmm. And so so he he's so we have a we have a combination of internal ideation where we have brainstorming sessions that he runs where we we look for ideas and he takes them down the the screening process. On that side I think he's over 1000 ideas uh, that have been submitted and it's usually by it's it's anyone that's part of the launch factory team. Participates, and we've also had some outside people participate as well. We're, you'll see a, more and more outside people participate as Launch Factory goes into the future. Um, but right now, it's been mostly internal. And then the other channel we look at is technology transfer. So government labs, universities, that's how I started my previous business. There's lots of great technology out there. But you need to confirm that that technology is actually solving a real problem and not just a nice to have, Uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to do something for the technology's sake. We're doing something because we found a problem that it solves and it's for the problem's sake. Uh, And I think that's, that's a, that's, it's um. and this is also something that, you know, we look at as, as really important. You know, when you develop a passion, you know, you talk about passionate founders, you know, when you develop the passion, it really needs to be a passion for solving the problem and not a passion for the solution. And the reason is, you know, the there may come along a better solution than what than what you started off with, and you need to have the ability to pivot over to that. Mm-hmm. Almost every great startup company has a major pivot story in its history, and so 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 we want the passion to be about the business and making the business successful. Uh, yeah. So so that's important when you look at it from the ideas perspective because we don't we specifically don't get too specific on the solution. We it's high level. We know what we're doing. But you don't want to nail down all the details of that solution such that the founders come in and there's nothing for them to do other than follow instructions. That's not it at all. There's a lot of decisions that are left to be made when it comes to how you implement this. And and that provides a couple of things. One, it provides some wiggle room because we're not going to pretend that we get everything perfect. No matter how good our due diligence is, things will change over time. And the business solution needs to be able to evolve with that. We also need to make sure that the solution, you know, you look at the founders, when they come in, that they implement the solution in a way that's to their strengths. Right. So the so so if you if you're a team that's a high tech team, then you're gonna have a mostly tech-based solution. If you're a low tech team, then you're gonna have a lower tech approach. Both can be absolutely fine, but they can look and feel very different. Mm-hmm. And so so we stop when it comes to the idea of formation, we stop at the point where where we call it again, high level so that, so that there's still plenty of room left, but uh, for people to take it, but, but it's, it's far enough along that we've been able to do a lot of due diligence to make sure this is the right path to be going down.
0: Have you gone down any paths where you, you know, we have, let's say three teams that you've got these various product ideas. I have lost
1: audio, I apologize. So now you're back, but I lost the audio there for a little bit.
0: So have you, ever been in a situation where let's say you get down to your three teams or your four teams and you decide to go with team B, A and B, but team C while the team didn't do what you needed it to do, the still conceptually the service or the product was a great idea. Do you do you recycle those or do they they're they're just gone if they don't make it to the to the top?
1: We haven't so when it, so so when it comes to seeing founders that we think would be really really great, that is that has happened every single time. You know, if you make it to the final phases of our process, odds are you're a highly talented individual that absolutely should go run your own company, and we would hope that you run one with us. Uh, so so we right now what happens if you if you are one of those final finalists, then we then we we do a lot of we strongly encourage you to come back for the next cohort next year. And we've actually had that, you know, the one of the co-founders of our 2020 companies was a finalist in 2019. And when, and, and it, and it's, he's, he, he was amazing and, and just barely fell short the first time around. And so when he came back and was in the process again, we were really excited to see him there. And, and so, but when it comes to what the ideas they submit, right, that we actually, we have not We've not been in a situation where we've, we've been in situations where we thought the ideas were really great, but we've never been in a situation where, where we thought the idea version uh, that we said no to was worth pursuing. Because the one that we do have, they're usually so competitive with each other. You know, it may be a great business, but we've, we really felt strongly we picked the, the right one to move forward with.
0: A um, couple questions I like to ask. So when you put your uh, your your launch hat on here, when you think about growing Launch Factory, what keeps you up at night?
1: We look at Launch Factory as having uh, its four pillars. So there's the ideas. How many good ideas can we source every year? How many how many quality founders? So founders would be the second one. How many quality founders can we source every year? How many companies can we incubate every year? Because we do a, quite a bit of work there. And then, of course, you have to have the funding to go, you know, to fund everything. And of those four, the most important by far is the founders. Now, I would say at this point, my confidence level that we have a good funnel for quality founders into the future, it's there. We've done it enough times. We see the talent we see is, is given us the confidence that we can we can repeat that. The way we're sourcing ideas is the one that is going to you're going to see more modifications because it's fine if you're just doing two to four companies per year we can do that mm-hmm. if you want us to get to say 10 companies per year it doesn't currently scale it's a, this is something that it's a year-round effort to get to four right uh with a lot of you know with a with a lot of man hours behind it and so um so we're going to be we have some we have some changes for the future that we're pretty excited about, but we need to see them prove themselves before we,
0: you know, claim victory. Okay. What is the uh, best business advice you've ever received?
1: Oh gosh, I've received so many uh, pieces of advice that have been really good. So when I was, so this was, this was, this went all the way, if you want to go all the way back to what gave me the confidence to actually be an entrepreneur. So I was, I was in college, so I, yeah, you know, I mentioned at the beginning. You know, I really wanted to be a business person, so I went and got an MBA because I started off as an engineer. So, so I was taking entrepreneurship. Professor was Giles Bateman, who was the number three co-founder of Price Club, which we all know now as Costco. And and it was really interesting. On the on the first day of class, he did this survey: who wants to be an entrepreneur? So it was fourteen yeses and two noes, and I was a maybe. And on the last day, he, he did the same survey, and many of the yeses had turned to nos. The noes stayed nos, and I went from a maybe to a yes. But I would argue that the same reason the yeses went to a no, or, the, or why I went from a maybe to a yes, I didn't do a survey on this, but, I, but I, it's my strong opinion. Um, and what he did is he taught us two things. He did such a good job of articulating what the entrepreneurial experience was like Uh, that that the reality, it, it helped us separate out the myth of being an entrepreneur versus the reality. And one of the pieces of reality that he taught us is that you don't have what it takes to willpower a company into success. Meaning no amount of education, no amount of resources that you have, you by yourself are not going to be able to just dictate whether or not a company is successful. And and, and in many ways, this is intuitive, right? You don't get to control market conditions. You don't get to control what your competition does. You don't get to control so, you don't even get to control who works for your company. You can influence it, but you don't get to control it. And so all of these things play into whether or not your company is successful. And so this was a little bit of, you know, a gloomy message, but it was, it was, it was real. And, and then, but then, and this I think is really important. The second piece that he taught us was that there will be people that will come along and will help you out on your journey. Absolutely there will be people. So it's okay that you are insufficient for the task because you don't need to be sufficient on your own. You can't be. That's not an achievable thing. Other people will come along. So it's a it's very much a leap of a, a leap of faith type of a thing. And uh, and I can tell you, so so I can tell you it's absolutely true. I have so many examples where completely surprising nothing I could have controlled somebody came in and helped us out when we needed it I can also tell you examples where people came out of nowhere and and were damaging to the company when we weren't expecting it but but the but the important thing are the ones that come along and help you and it's a uh, it's one it's so so the students that went from yeses to nos realizing and we were and I was in this camp the idea being that well, I'm not sufficient. I don't know what I need to know now, but I'm going to go get this magic MBA degree. And after that, I should know everything I need to know to be successful. And that's simply not true. Uh, I think probably most people don't need to take entrepreneurship class with Giles Bateman to know that I did. Uh, But at least I got to the right answer. Right. So, but it's a harder thing, especially at the beginning when you haven't started and you've accepted this fact that you're not sufficient to get it done. It's a harder thing to believe that people will come and help you on your journey. So, but I challenge anybody go talk to a successful entrepreneur and ask that entrepreneur to start naming the people that have helped them out and you will get answers every single time.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting um, it, and I'm, I'm flashing back as you're talking when I was growing my, my agency, one of my assignments was doing research for Pacific Sunwear, which is the, the clothing chain. And I, and I watched them grow from 50 stores to 750 over the course of the nine years. And one of the things I kept hearing was from you know the, the leaders like Bob McKnight and Bob Hurley you know of Hurley and Quicksilver they kept saying man we wish there was more research in the marketplace there just isn't any and so I heard that for years and you know being a marketing guy I went hey I can do this and so I went and tried to replicate what I did for Pack Sun I mean they they supported me um, I no longer work for them because now they redeemed I was out there you know selling stuff. But I went to the same seven cities and I started going after the general population and kind of drilling down to skateboarders and surfers. So I I, so my methodology was targeting even though I wanted to target the surf and skate and snowboard industry, I was going after the kind of the broad swath of, of, um, you know, 12 to 24 year olds and drilling down. And it was advice from some of the folks that basically said, we love what you're doing but this isn't going to work and you need to pivot so back to your pivot story so we literally abandoned all the work that we had been doing and and the business plan called for us to go into these vertical segmentations so we immediately jumped into that so about a year and a half in we totally changed and it took a little time then trust because you know, who are you telling us how to market to skateboarders? You don't skateboard. Um, but over, but the company grew over 13 years and we became the de facto standard in the industry, in the, in the, in the action sports industry. But, and then competitors started coming in and, you know, all the people that were trying to influence what we were doing. But the point I wanted to get to this long winded story is there were a couple people, um, one named Dick Baker, who at the time was uh, the CEO of, of, uh, Pacific Sunwear, or not Pacific Sunwear an Pacific somewhere, of OP, and he called me into his office one day and gave me some advice that that caused me to pivot in some of my pricing strategies and stuff. If he hadn't done that, it would have just been a really long 13-year hobby instead of a business. So it is important to to listen and seek out people that are that are wiser. My first business venture, I was 23, was into the film industry. And these two older gentlemen, about 20 years older than me, convinced me we could bring Hollywood to Orange County. And it failed miserably. Great education, but it failed miserably because I didn't know. I assumed that they knew what they were doing, right? So I went at it blindly. So that was, uh, thank God that happened early in my career because seven years later, I went out and tried it again. If your journey was a book, what would the title be?
1: I like that question. Let me think for a second. Um, it might be, let's see, I would say it would be, it luck can happen intentionally. And, and, and so, so what I mean by that is there's, you know, it's, it ties in a little bit with that, you know, the leap of faith that, that pe- things will come along and that, you know, people will come along to help you on your journey. Um, but it but this idea that people come help you out along the journey does not relieve you from the responsibility. I mean, you, you know, this doesn't mean you sit back. This isn't, you know, scratching a lottery ticket and hoping it it hits, right. You know, there's a lot of work and preparation that goes in because when you do that work, when you are prepared, that's when the luck starts to happen. That's when people are willing to help you. Uh, If you're just sitting on the couch watching TV, nobody's going to help you. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing something interesting, and if you're working really hard and they believe that if they help you, that you're going to take it and do something with it, you know, then then it then these situations tend to happen more often. And so, um, you know, but it's it's a uh, but yeah, I think it's and it's it's and it all kind of ties into this fact that um, I think when when good fortune happens, there's two different ways to interpret it. One is, you know, good fortune happened to me because I deserved it and all of that. Right. And I made it happen or whatever. And another interpretation is good fortune happened and I'm grateful for it. And I'm going to I'm going to turn that into the, you know, the biggest, best thing that I can as a result. And and, you know, the, the first one suffers from arrogance. Right. You know, you if you over credit yourself with your accomplishment, you underappreciate what other people do. You're basically setting yourself up to fall later on. Uh, because the reality is it took other people to help you the first time around. You're going to need people the second time around. Um, and and so, you know, so it's a but the but with the second view, you don't want to make the mistake of thinking that it's just pure luck in the sense that it's random and that there's nothing you can do about it. You know, this is this is absolutely a situation where if you work hard, you re, you're diligent and you treat people fairly. These kinds of things will happen to you more often than others.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really, and I, I, I'm going to go back to just use the word relationships. I mean, it's, it's about making sure that, you know, you're treating people right, just like the, the way you want them to treat you and education. And it isn't always about you uh, belong to some networking groups and it's about as much as giving as receiving. And, um, and so I think back to those people that help you. I mean, even, even as the, the early as this morning, from my podcast, actually, last week, I had people out of Chicago emailing me and and you know giving me a lot of accolades on it and, and the guy that I interviewed and so that's great and and they want to now champion so I mean I just I don't really know this person we're just starting to get to know each other so yeah you know, but that sets me up into the group of hey he nails what he's doing that kind of stuff so I'm a, I'm a big believer in and and doing that I want to talk a little bit now about your startups you have two simply independent and productized so and i i I like to tell stories so i'll let you do a do it in a storytelling fashion about these two businesses and and uh, i'll let you take it the way you want to take it
1: yeah absolutely so so simply independent is looking at the at the situation and looking to address the situation where you have people that are at a point in their life, whether it's for health, aging, whatever the cause, that need to strongly consider moving into an assisted living facility. And not surprisingly, uh, very few percentage wise actually want to do this. You know, usually this is something that feels more inflicted upon them. Um, and so, so simply independent is, is how people are going to be able to remain in their homes longer. And there's uh and so there's a so part of this boils down to what are the reasons why people move into an assisted living facility to begin with. Uh it's not a simple, straightforward answer. There's usually multiple causes and 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 they can be quite diverse, ranging from can't take care of your house to you know, health issues. So uh so and but it's also simply independent part of the timing for this business, why this one right now, there's really two things that are happening. One, um, so assisted living facilities are moving towards more of a concierge style of service, right? So, so there's not just that you only get the service, if you live with them, they're looking for ways. And many of them actually are implementing ways where they're taking their services beyond their own walls. Hmm. So it's simply independent. It's leaping ahead instead of building a facility, providing services there and then trying to find ways to reach out. It's going straight to the, to the reach out. The second thing that's happening is, you know, the, we're at a point now where where the senior demographic, which is the you know demographic that moves to assisted living facilities, you know the vast majority of the of the population that does that, uh, they're tech savvy now. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's it, it's amazing. If you look at if you look at seniors that utilize smartphones, computers, uh, it is uh, they're not behind the way uh, the way they were say ten, fifteen years ago. So so that so the so the technology use rate is is there. And that allows for so many more opportunities for an for an entity like simply independent. And so, uh, so it's an exciting space. It's a space that that you can, there's lots of feel goods there because we're actually helping improve lives Mm -hmm. uh, and and really like what the two founders there are doing with productified productified is going after this surprisingly large, but highly fragmented market of the home inventor. So believe it or not, Americans spend over 80 billion dollars working on their home invention ideas, and this is everything from making a making a first prototype to getting it into the marketplace. You know, so as these home inventors, they're they're spending real money, um, but it's highly fragmented. There's a you know, there's bad actors in the space, you know, scam artists and those types of things, and and what there isn't uh, is a is a platform that enables people to be their own product manager and guide them through the steps. Because it turns out almost everybody has had a product idea at some point or another, and only a small percentage of them pursue these ideas, you know, even mm-hmm. try to make a prototype. Well, why? One, they don't know how. Um, two, they don't have the time. And if you eliminate those two causes, you would have a lot more product and ideas that are out there. And, you know, this is America. We like being inventors and innovating. And and so what Productify does is it is a platform that allows inventors to go onto this platform, have a workflow to how you can build your product and connects you to the people that can do the work. So maybe you need a 3D printed version of a prototype. OK, well, how do you do that? Well, you're going to need a drawing in AutoCAD drawing, maybe you don't know AutoCAD, AutoCAD, or maybe you don't have a copy of it, but there's third parties that do. So so they can bid uh, on performing that work for you. They do it, you pay them through the platform, and then then you do the same thing with your 3D printed prototypes. And as the product manager, you get to take it as far as you want. Uh, if you wanna go all the way to trying to sell it in the marketplace, absolutely do so. If you want to just get to prototype and make a few copies for yourself, that's fine too. You're the You're in charge. But now you are doing it with a tool and a resource that simplifies and streamlines everything. And so
0: is it just for um, technology or is it really any product and or service? uh,
1: It's it's really almost anything. Right. So so most product ideas aren't necessarily complex things involving software and electronics and hardware. It's usually I mean, and those exist. Absolutely. But there's also a lot of. Just simple ideas. So here here's a here's a example of one that when uh, when you know, so when I'll be one of the first users of, of Productified when they when they go live here in a few months. Uh, but one of the things I I have an idea for is we're we're big butter dish users at my house. And so so there's a problem with big butter dish using families, and that's the knife that you use to take the butter when you're done using the knife there's no place to put it and you usually lay it on top of the lid of the of the butter dish and butter gets everywhere and it's a big mess. Well why can't there be a holder for the knife or you know a, a way to hold the knife so that the butter side stays free it doesn't rub against anything and you just you you make that little attachment. And so so that's not anything that's complicated. There's no moving parts, there's no electronics, there's no software, but it's something that I would like to have and maybe maybe other people would be interested in that kind of a product too and so you know so so then it could be a fun little project most of these ideas are not the kinds of ideas that are meant to go build an entire business around some will be but most of them are just the kind of ideas that you know they it's an interesting product. You can sell some units. It can be a source of income. Maybe you know, most of them probably won't sell uh, much at all, but but it was it can be a fun experiment and exercise to go through. And I have no idea how many people want my butter dish with its built in knife holder, but <laughs> I intend to find out.
0: There you go. Um, so food products as well. I mean, if somebody wanted to build a, a new cookie and, and learn yeah. how to do all that and find the, uh, the find the. Um, the facilities to help do all that. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so we've talked about a couple successes that you have going here. Any, any stories on the not so successful yet? And, and why? Well, we are, I mean, at some
1: point you'll see a launch factory company that's not successful, but with, with only three and the oldest one just turned one, uh, in September. So this month, so far, Uh, so good. (laughs) Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. It's a, now. And this is this. But this does this also does touch on something that's a little bit different mentality wise from launch factory than you would have, say, with um, a traditional incubator or even more contrasted with, uh, say, a venture capitalist. So so if you're if you're an institutional investor, your objective is to pick the best winners. And when you see failures, you want to get rid of them fast because they're a waste of your time and you focus on the winners because your portfolio returns are dictated by your by your top 10 percent of your returns. The rest of them you know, really, really don't move the needle a whole lot. So but in our case, it's very different. In our case, the focus is on getting success rate. So in, in, the, in all, and a lot of this has to do with our financial model, the way things work. But base hits for us do move the needle. And so so it's a very different approach. Also, at the really early days, you don't know who the big winners are going to be and who the small winners are going to be. What you do know, though, is that you need to get them to the place where they can demonstrate themselves. And and because we actually really care about base hits just as, you know, it it, it does move our needle, then we're going to try really, really hard for every single company, every single time to help them be successful. We have selfish motives for doing so. This is not just something we're doing. This is not a charity act, right? This is something that we win when they win, mm-hmm. and so so it's in our absolute interest to help get help them get there. Uh, so, so yeah. At some point, are we gonna are we gonna have a hundred percent success rate? We don't pretend that's the case, but we do say that our success rate, if our model is worth anything, then our success rate will be far higher than the average success rate for startup companies.
0: Uh, This has been a a fascinating conversation. I'm really enjoying it. And um, it's a definite different perspective on some of the other folks that I've talked on. And again, it's this kind of business and program that you put together, I think is pretty unique. And I I like the whole idea. And and I think I I resonate with a lot of the things that you've said. But I do have one last question before we kind of sign off. And that uh, what inspires you every day? What, what, What drives you to get out of bed and do what you do?
1: So, if I were to put a name on it, I would say Dan Piat. And and, and it's more of what Dan did and what he represents. Uh, it, so, so, I was in a situation early on with my previous company. We had a $3 million development contract that was on the table with this partner. This is gonna be, this is our first funding source. I was 10 months into the company. I'd saved up for one year without, to go one year without a salary. So, this contract was gonna swoop in right at the right time. Um, we ended up on the day that we were supposed to sign the contract. Two things. One, I had the flu. And this was back when, when you had the flu, you just took medicine and you showed up anyway, you didn't social distance or anything else. Uh, so, so in hindsight, it seems kind of crazy that I, I, you know, that I, you know, that I would ever go talk to anyone, but, but, uh, so I had the flu it's signing day. The contract is literally on the table and they waffled at the last moment and pulled out. So we lost our $3 million joint development contract. We did not have a backup plan. And this was, is this was for a narrow market space. Um, the next day, by chance, I happened to meet Dan. And Dan, I didn't know Dan at all, right? Uh, and, and, but the short version is he ended up offering to give me CEO level introduction to all the competitors in that space. There's about 12 companies in this space. And we were able to turn that into a competitive bid process that led to us getting about $17 million over, over several years. So, um, so, so if you look at it, we were, it was devastating to lose a $3 million contract. We had no money, right? So this was, we lost everything is what it felt like. And then to less than 24 hours later, I meet somebody that's going to give me the too good to be true. Here's CEO level introduction to anyone in the space. Um, you know, so, and I have a lot of stories in the Lumadine, the name of my previous company, uh, timeline, where people came in and helped out in that regard. What's interesting is when you go back and talk to them after the fact, because I, I definitely went and did my thank yous after after the exit to Google, and, and a lot of them, I mean, they remember it, but it just seemed like a small little thing to them. And you know, and, and so so, but 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 to me, what is real, the opportunity to get to be the Dan Piet for somebody else is really exciting. And that's that's when I get excited and, and you know, you want to know what gets me really interested about Launch Factory, it's the fact that we get to create the Dan Piat scenarios. It may not literally be me, right? In fact, most of the time it won't be, but we get to create those scenarios for other startup companies. And, and I don't know, there's just something something wonderful about that.
0: Yeah, that's great, wow, that's great. That's what a great story. That's about that give back that you talked about earlier. I, I love that. So, Brad, why don't you tell the listeners how they can reach you, learn more about the uh, Launch Factory. I don't want to inundate you with people trying to become founders, but, hey, you never know. There could be that gem out there. So I want to tell people how they can find out more information.
1: So the easiest thing, go to our webpage, launchfactory.com, all one word. And, you know, you can also email me, bchism at launchfactory.com, B-C-H-I-S-U-M. And and those are really the two best ways. And so, so, and you know, Interest levels, you know, we, we're always looking for new investors to join us. We're always looking for new founders to join us. Uh, and so either of those interest levels, you know, reach out to me and, and I can help you out.
0: All right. Fantastic. And, and thank you for joining me here today. And thank you listeners out there for joining us. A uh, little plug for me now, if your business needs a CMO or senior level marketing leadership, but you're not quite ready for a full time person yet, connect with me to find out more about my fractional interim consulting services. You can visit theponzigroup.com. There's a variety of resources there, blogs, videos, eBooks, um, or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And lastly, if you're a subscriber, thank you. But I do encourage you to let others know about this show and get them to subscribe as well so they can benefit from the great content like we heard here with Brad. You can also visit the businessgrowthcafe.com or subscribe on any podcast platform you like to listen to. And don't forget to join me next week here at the Business Growth Cafe. And Brad, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.